Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Catherine Ryan. And here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. There has been a lot of discussion about young people feeling overwhelmed, anxious and confused. So what's the secret to getting these feelings under control? Gwendolyn Smith, a clinical psychologist and mental health expert, especially well versed on dealing with youth anxiety. Her advice is not first to announce to the world that you have social anxiety, but rather try and understand how you think and as a result how you feel. She's published The Book of Knowing, which was originally aimed at young people, but can help readers of any age know what's going on in their mind and how to react to that. It's based on the School of Cognitive Behavioural Therapy. It's a straightforward and practical book. It's got some great illustrations in it too. And Gwendolyn Smith, who also works closely with Auckland University's Faculty of Education to provide guidance to school counsellors, is with us in the Auckland studio. Good morning, Gwendolyn. Good morning, Catherine. It's a pretty straightforward premise. If you can sort of... If you can understand how you think, you might be able to put yourself in a position as to how to feel. It does sound a bit easier in theory than in practice. Would that be fair? Yep, it would be. But the thing is, I've often thought, Catherine, that um, genius lies in simplicity. You know, like E equals MC squared, for instance. But Aaron Beck, who's the founder of cognitive theory... His models, which are illustrated in the book, they look incredibly simple, but the depth of them is quite phenomenal. So the, the what the the models and diagrams and so on that are in the book are in fact the essence of what I would be doing in a clinical hour in my practice. Before we even start, is this a generation particularly? affected either in um, the, the, the amount of anxiety or, or the severity of it relative to others? Uh, well, let me just divide that question up because it's a good one. First of all, you've got this really significant genetic contribution, which is between 37 and 40 percent, which is extraordinary. I mean, it's well above, say, cardiovascular, for instance, And so the genetic contribution, that won't be new. But why we talk about nature and nurture now, Catherine, we don't sort of say, oh, is schizophrenia nature or is it nurture? The new term is epigenetics. It's the impact of of environment on what you've already got, right? That's it. Okay. So you might have someone with um, high trait sensitivity, but they manage themselves in the world better than other people where the environment is more stressful. A big question too that that occurs when we're talking about this generation is, okay, so how much of this is Facebook, how much of this is the internet, etc. And what I try to say to people is it's very difficult. You can't be reductionistic in today's world. You can't go, yes, it's all Facebook. Yes, it's all the internet. 
there's so many cultural phenomena which I've heard you talk about many times that um, that contribute to this what we're seeing and the other obvious one talking about it more more people present so the figures go up also we can't frankly we can't change it you can and we'll talk about that in a moment when we talk about getting in charge of, of how you feel <clears throat> by understanding how you think you can do some practical things in your own life the only thing I would say Gwendolyn is if you took all those cumulative um, elements of our modern lives, there is a sense of being observed and or judged that is a bit more 24-7 than it was for previous generations. And, and perhaps it's that as simple as we're going to get it. There's the idea that there's constant feedback at a time when young people are incredibly sensitive, they're still forming who they are and their sense of self-worth and, and and what kind of person they want to be. Yep, yep, I do agree with that. And I'll tell you where you see it, Catherine, being particularly aggravating, um, because we can talk about something contributing to an anxiety disorder, I don't really like that word, but still... Um, you know, w- what's contributing, and without a doubt they do. And the, the biggest aggravation I find is with the kids with um, social phobia because the essence of social phobia or social anxiety, which, out of interest, is now recognised as the third largest mental health problem in the first world and kicks in late puberty, so kicks in mid-teens, you know, when when the importance of the peer group is paramount. And because the phobia, it's not a phobia of, of socialising, although that comes into it, but the essence of the phobia, Catherine, is the fear of being negatively evaluated. That's the core of the phobia, the fear of being judged. And that's when you really see social media... Um, if you like, coming into its own. Because if they're on Facebook, and I'm thinking of young clients I've worked with, if they're on Facebook, they're constantly comparing themselves with the A-team, who was at that party, who looks really happy, who's got the, the wonderful life, I haven't, I'm a loser. But then... When they come off social media because they're anxious and putting themselves down all the time, then they feel like a loser because they're not on it. It's FOMO. Mm. Look, it's such a difficult passage of life for just those reasons, always has been, but they really are. I I mean, we we must get into the book, we must get into the details of the book. I get so frustrated when I think of kids posting for the first time, you know, whether it's their first comment or something or their first image of me, and just... The comment is the thing. What comes back in and that immediate judgment of what you've just done, that is Mm. what is new and all-pervasive. However, they're living when they live. Your book is about giving them the tools to understand all this. So where do you start with that? Where do you start, particularly with a young person who's already in much more of the feeling mode than the logical frontal cortex thinking mode, right? Where do you start to help them understand how they think? The first focus, and I've always done this, is you demystify. 
they monsterize, that's not a proper word, Catherine, um, but, you know, that anxiety for them is this huge monster. And so you demystify anxiety and you talk about fight, flight, freeze. And you talk about, and when your body goes into the survival mode, your heart rate does increase and your breathing does become shallow and you may experience this, this and this biologically. And that is just a very natural part because when Mother Nature switches that mechanism on, the deal is to run out of the burning building or to stab the saber-toothed tiger, fight, flight. It's not to, um, you know, hang around, play a game of chess. And so therefore people say, I can't think, my mind goes blank. Well, it does go blank because the oxygen that allows the brain to think rationally goes to the extremities to prepare the organism for fight, flight. So the first part of the work I do is, here's the science, We'd be, you know, hopeless without the survival mechanism. It's really important. It keeps us alive. Then introduce them to, you will have seen in the book, the sort of trigger thinking, physiological, emotional response. Then that's the next fundamental step. Okay, these things are happening to you because of how you're thinking. If you give a trigger, e.g. a pair of jeans without a very high fashion label, if you give that a meaning which is I'm such a loser everyone's going to think I'm a geek because I haven't got the right jeans on, you would then feel anxious and avoid. If, on the other hand, you give the label, oh well, I love these jeans, hey guess what, don't care, really looking forward to the party, you're not going to get an anxiety response. So that's the, the pure logic of it. Mm. But we're constantly coming up against logic versus emotion. And as I said, at this age, the emotion is dominating. So the pair of jeans, you're going to the party, you've thought logically about this, I don't give a shit, I'm me. You get to the party and that first comment comes in or that first look comes in and so does the physiological response. What do you do? Well, the first thing that I would say in that situation, because I've said, well, look, you know, I've gone to this party and I walked in there, everyone in the room looked at the label. I will then say, because it's it's a very Socratic process, Socrates always looked for the facts. That's why it's the backbone of law. And so you would say, okay, let's have a look at that thought. Now, um, how do you how do you know? So it's what, when, where, how questions, not why. I don't use that question. Um, how do you know that everyone in the room was looking at you? And of course, then they'll start. Well, um, I can't be a hundred percent sure that it was everyone in the room. Okay, and so tell me about the people that were doing this. Um, well, I'm pretty sure that um, A, B, C and D were doing it. I'm definitely sure because I, I felt they were. Okay, so now what they're saying is that their feelings are giving them an accurate gauge of their environment, which it's not. So just because they feel bad, they then apply emotional reasoning. 
if I feel bad, then that means that it's a fact that people are laughing at me. The other way they're gathering this information, Catherine, too, is by mind reading. They see someone maybe look in their direction and then all of a sudden, mm, they think I'm this. They think, they think, they think. And so this is, you know, Freud blesses Cotton's. I mean, this is his sort of projection. So they project their negative thoughts about themselves through the eyes of other people and therefore become phobic of other people's eyes. And we get into that um, cycle. Um, yeah, you've got it. So the common problems are just some of you from the book: magnification, overgeneralizing, discounting the positives, all or nothing thinking, minimization, jumping to conclusions, personalization. Any and everyone would recognise that as being adolescence and the teens being being prominent. The 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 idea though again is how do you cut through? I hear the logic, but how do you cut through? the inclination to go straight back into this is how I feel and then the physiological. Your first step is to help them do the reasoning for themselves. Uh-huh. The next step is how do they use that to address the behaviour and the repeating of the behaviour? There's a piece here called thought interference. Does this speak to this? Yeah, yeah, it does, because thought interference, that are these, what I call them, thought viruses, the cognitive theorists call them thinking errors or thinking distortions, and these are the little bugs in the system that distort. That keep coming back, yeah. Yeah, magnification. So one of the things I find really effective with teenagers, and and I do this exercise in schools and that sort of stuff, is... um, I'll have a um, a zero to a hundred continuum, right? And so they have not been invited to a party. And I said, well, how do you feel about that? Well, you know, I want to die, um, if that gives you an idea. And I said, well, where would you put that on your zero to a hundred? Oh, I don't know, 98? Okay, so 98, no invitation to party, Okay. So then, and it's a bit of a mean trick, but I don't care, Um, it works. So then I sit down and I say, okay, well, look, this is a bit naughty of me, but I just want you to visualise this. You leave here, you switch your phone back on, of course, if it's not already still on. Um, You switch your phone, you go downstairs, and um, you get a text from your sister saying that mum and dad have been in a head-on collision with a truck and are in ICU on life support up at the Auckland Hospital. Where would you put that? Um, Well, that would be 150, 150. (laughs) And I said, no, no, we're sticking with that 100. You've got to keep in that 100. Um, Okay, it would be 100. Well, they're still alive. They're not dead. Okay. So where would it be? Well... (laughs) Um, 99? It'd be 99. Okay. So I put that up on the board. And you know what that's going to look like, Catherine, don't you? That not getting an invite to a party is only four units of discomfort away from mum and dad being nearly dead. You're teaching them perspective. Yeah. So then I'll... mm, Yeah. So just to finish. mm. So then I'll say, so now, because you can see their eyes going... And they they can see that there's something not quite right about what's on the board. And I say, well, look, 
we're going to give you another chance. Where would you put that party invite now? Oh, I don't know, 20? So you see how you've moved the units of distress by 75% with one exercise? Decatastrophizing. Decatastrophizing, you've got it. The next the next point, though, is because they are teens and those emotions rule. As an ongoing practice, to shift the logical thinking you're teaching them to become more prominent relative to the emotional response, or as you put it in the book, to basically have the emotion match the actual fact rather than the envisaged situation. What are the little tools they can use and keep using? They love that decatastrophization scale because the question, because I often give them little flashcards and you'll see towards the back of the book there's a whole lot of little sort of like catchphrases like... um, Discomfort won't kill you. Just breathe and ride it through. Feelings are not fit. You know, so when I'm seeing them one-to-one, um, the question that goes with the decatastrophizing scale is, so how bad is that really? How bad in the real world is that? So they can have that card with them or they often just program it into notes in their phone. Um Feelings are not facts is another important one for youth because they believe that their feelings are telling them the truth when feelings are really only a reflection of their thinking. So they love the flashcards because they're tangible, they're there, and because you're sort of um, rekindling neurological tracks, you know, I always make sure I say, now when you look at this, you look at it for 10 seconds. You don't just look at it and go, oh, there's that stupid thing Gwendolyn gave me. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you get them to stare at it for 10 seconds because that begins the process of shifting or rekindling new tracks in the brain. And you know what, Catherine? The thing I love the most about working with this age group is that it's, you just see them change. You just see them change, and it's just so rewarding. It's harder for us older people, you know, to change tracks. But have I got a second to tell you a wonderful story from yesterday? Go for it. If you can do okay. that in the roughly that second and a bit, go for I it. I can. Right. You mentioned earlier the book's appropriate for all ages. I've been working with a wonderful 16-year-old with social anxiety. Saw her... Oh, a couple of weeks ago, I said, "How are things going?" And you see, she learned. You see, kids do learn to worry from their mum. So, bottom line, she's doing brilliantly. She's only three sessions away from being fixed. She gave the book to mum to read. Mum's doing well too, is she? Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not her therapist, but <laughs> it was like she was so sick of hearing all these cognitive distortions coming from her mother. There you go. And just said, hey, take a look at this before we have another conversation. Thanks, Gwendolyn. The Book of Knowing is uh, her latest work. Alan and I'm one of the publishers. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.